Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. Welcome Chris Elijah up. But before she comes, what was on my heart as I was meditating tonight, praying for tonight, was the scripture in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved that he sent. And I feel like Krista is sent. You know, she's sent. God loved And she comes into agreement with God's love. And she is sent by God. And we see that, you know, God didn't, God sent his first and he sent his best. And that's what we see with God. He said he, because he loved, he sent. And I think all of us too, we're sent. We're all sent to do great things for the Lord. And it's like, that's part of what love is. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son. It's like he was sent for us because God wanted to give us his best. And I I just see that with with Krista, that she's sent out. She's sent out and to minister. And I I feel like God wants her to be honored tonight because we see that Jesus said that he wasn't honored in his own hometown because, you know, what happens when people get familiar? We don't honor things. And when we don't honor, we don't receive and I think the church is kind of, sometimes we can be kind of casual. And I feel like God's saying we need to honor. We need to honor the people of faith. And I feel like tonight, Chris, as you come up, I feel like, you know, I, I want to honor you here in this house. I want to honor you as a woman of God that I know that you have laid down, that you've sacrificed for the kingdom of God, that you've count the cross. You didn't go into this saying, well, you know, I'm not going to give everything. You've, you've counted the cost, and you've put yourself out there, and I see how you are when God gives you a mission. You, you send yourself out. You allow yourself to go, and you're honored here. We honor your gift. We honor the calling of God that we want to bless you. If we could stand and honor Krista as she comes. And, the, and part of honor is giving, and I just... I want everyone to remember tonight, too, as we honor her, to make sure you honored her with your offering. Sometimes we sit there and we give things halfway, but I feel like part of honor is giving. So if we stretch our hands out to her, Lord, we just thank you for Krista. We thank you for the woman of God that she is. And Lord, we count honored that she is willing to come and and, and just be an offering unto the Lord as she comes. So Lord, we bless her. We bless the gifts. We honor her. And Lord, we just thank you for the more of the Lord. Father, that there will be such an increase on her ministry, Father God. I thank you for the open heavens that you have over her. And Lord, that she is going to bring that into regions. Father, the open heaven is going to be brought into regions. So Lord, we bless her. We bless the calling of God. And we count it an honor to have her come and to share here at Gateway. So we bless her in Jesus' name. And I just also sense that I just saw Mary go round, and I just felt like like you're going to carry like Mary, and you're going to be like people are going to get impregnated when you are ministering like Mary was pregnant, and it's going to be like a merry-go-round that's like joyful and happy, but people are just going to be getting impregnated as you minister in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Ah. Bless the Lord. Wow. 
Hold on, let me get my whole life together right now. <laughs> so, my my whole message is love. It really is. And, you know, it it's a really simple topic, but it's one that the church has fallen away from. And uh, I'm actually, so I, if you don't know, I just accidentally wrote this book. I say accidentally because when I was writing it, I didn't know I was writing a book. It started in a season of terrible trauma and heartache. Um, I had my mother literally watched her die of stage four lung cancer, caught her last tear in my hand as she crossed over to be with Jesus, um, really disappointed because we had believed even up until her last day that Jesus was going to get her up out of the bed, but it was her time to go home, you know, and uh, I wrestled with that a long time, but then subsequently right after that um, went through one of the worst betrayals in a personal friendship. My best friend of almost a decade uh, slandered me and tried to dismantle my ministry from the inside out and uh, went around to every spiritual leader that she knew, spreading lies about me to try to block me from having opportunities to minister. Um, other betrayals in my family and uh, all of this while uh, I did not realize that I had unresolved PTSD from childhood trauma. And so every time something like that would happen, it would throw me back into when I was 12 years old and I was being sexually abused and I literally couldn't function. And I thought it was just spiritual warfare. <laughs> you know, not everything is spiritual warfare. Some of it is you're getting triggered and you actually need healing right? You need a soul healing. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you need a physical healing because trauma affects our physical bodies, right? So it's both. We're, we need to approach healing in a holistic way. And because um, that's what Jesus did. He came to make us whole, right? Well, so I would just go to be alone with the Lord and I would <laughs> crawl up in my armchair and which I say is daddy's lap, and I would cry, you know, and I would do this in secret. Like my, even my family, my husband and my kids didn't know I, what I was going through. I would get my son off to school in the morning. I'd come home, get in my armchair, and I'd lay there, and I'd weep for hours. <laughs> and I'd say, dad, I just need you to come and heal me. I need you to tell me who I am today, because I don't know anymore. In this book, each day, each devotional was something that the Father spoke directly to me. And then he, I would respond, and then he would speak to me again, and he would tell me what to say over myself. And about halfway through this season of warfare, he said, uh, he said, I, I I, you've been compiling these in a journal, but I want you to turn these into a devotional because I'm going to heal a multitude through the way that I've healed you. And I did not realize that he was dealing with father wounds 
until the very end. I got to the very end of the book. I got all the devotionals done, and I said, okay, God, here's your book. I don't, I have no theme. What's the theme? And um, he said, look again. And I looked, and each day he was addressing it as my happy daddy God or my daddy God who rescues me, my daddy God who stands up for me, my daddy God who protects me, my daddy God who delights in me, right? Like, and each day it was dealing with an aspect of a, a fundamental human need speaking directly to my identity. And when I said, oh my goodness, God, why father wounds? I lost my mom, you know, so why would you be dealing with father wounds? And he said, well, honey, the enemy always comes after your identity. Because if you don't know who I am as your father, then, and you don't know who you are and who I say you are, then you are going to believe what the enemy says about you. And as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And he said, he's been doing this since the fall. And I was just absolutely astounded. So literally, this is my process of daddy healing me from trauma. Because every human needs to know that they're seen, that they're safe, that they're secure, and they need to be soothed. And that's exactly what the father does. And I love that. Deb, tonight, I've been asking all day, God, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to preach about. I actually drove, I was, I've been in the car for six hours today because um, I had a meeting in Cleveland to meet with Janet Porter, who is the woman who pinned the heartbeat bill. Um, incredible spirit-filled woman uh, that is, she's actually getting ready to run for Congress. Um, and that was a divine encounter. I also have a pro-life ministry called the cloud cries out, speak life, um, and the Lord's sent me to our, our family, actually, to the Native Americans, because it's the same principality. It's a spirit of genocide that's, that is over abortion and over the issue with the Native Americans right now, and God is dealing with that um, in order to heal our land, but I wanted to actually give a copy of this away, because um, I, I, I didn't write it to make money off of I wasn't even trying to write a book. I was just trying to be with my father. And so um, I'll actually, whoever can get up here and get it. <laughs> and then Dave, will you give one to her? Cause she couldn't run. Yeah. There's two different kinds. There's the artist edition, which it's, man, if you find any mistakes in that, give me grace, because I formatted each individual item in that book. Thought my head was going to explode, because I am not an editor. Yep. Thank you. Praise the Lord. And definitely read the beginning. Don't, it's a devotional, but don't skip. Don't skip it. Okay, the beginning of the book, because... That was the part that the Lord told me to be super intentional about when I was preparing it at the end for you guys. So it's literally going to open up a door of encounter for you. Um, 
So tonight, when I was asking the Lord what to, what to speak about, he said, well, you know, your life message is love. <laughs> and specifically, John 3, 16, um, that God so loved that he gave or that he sent. And when, um, when I walked into the room tonight, can I just be honest with you guys? Can I just be a real person? Okay, cool. Because I'm not a superstar. I'm just a little tiny girl that loves Jesus. And um, I'm, I'm really sick of superstar Christianity because, um, you know, these leaders, they, they walk in anointing and gifting, but then their character doesn't line up with the character of Christ behind the scenes. And um, it's led the body of Christ astray. And it's disappointed, and it's hurt a lot of people. Because, you know, you can be gifted. The, the gifts of God are irrevocable. They're, they're without repentance, right? And, and all you need to do is to walk in the gifts is to believe. That's it. Just to believe that what God says is what he means and he'll do, right? But... God is taking the body of Christ in a different direction in this season, and it's not going to look like the way that it has before. And to turn it around, you know, another word for turn around is metanoia or repent. It means to change the way you think and change the way you live. And for a long time in the body of Christ, faith has become this obscure thing that has no action behind it, right? It's a church in America has become, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want the goosebumps. I want the gold dust. I want the healing. I want the prosperity. I want you to minister to me beyond your physical capability to pour out anymore because I came to get what I want from you. Do you know that that is why our pulpits have been prostituted for so long? And God's heart is grieved. His heart is so grieved. And I mean, and I'm telling you this because I, I mean, literally all day, just the lack of honor. And even that she would say that, you know, because um, I don't seek my own honor. Love does not seek its own, right? Love does not seek its own, um, and I've, count, I've counted the cost, but then I haven't because I've encountered a love. <laughs> I've encountered a love that is worth losing everything for. And that's why I'll do things that I don't want to do. <laughs> that's why I'll look like a fool. That's why I'll allow people to say whatever they want about me and never ever raise my voice and it's not just about me this is the way that the body of christ needs to behave because jesus when he went to the cross the book of isaiah says that he didn't even raise his voice in defense of himself knowing that he was completely innocent Why didn't Jesus raise his voice to defend himself? Because he knew God was his defender. Yeah. 
See, Jesus loved in such a way that he didn't have to be right. I'm going to say that again. Jesus loved in such a way he didn't have to be right. He loved in such a way that he didn't need to raise his voice to defend himself. He loved in such a way that he didn't require people to treat him a certain kind of way, although he was king of kings and lord of lords. Actually, it was quite the contrary. This is because Jesus humbled himself even unto death. He went lower than any other man. And although he was equal with God, he did not count it as such. And this is why God exalted him above every name, every power, every ruler in all the universe. So friends, who is the prototype for a Christian? Christ. He is the mark. He's the example. He's the prototype. He is, he is the goal. He's the target. He is, when we look at Jesus, he is the center of the Father's heart wrapped in flesh. And it said that he went about doing good and destroying the works of darkness. It, it says that he was moved with compassion for the people were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, shepherds, they have, those are dirty jobs, man. Being out in the wilderness, no shower, in the desert, sheep bite, they're nasty, they, you know, flies hang around, manure. Anybody ever farmed before? I don't farm because I don't like being around all that mess. I'm very sensitive to smells. I gag at gym shoes. Right? But, I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, I actually, like, watched a video to find out what exactly shepherds do with sheep, you know? And they got to wrangle those things, hold them down, shear them. I can't even imagine getting, I'm, I, I'm a retired hairdresser, but getting all up in that matted fur with years of, field funk on them, itchy, sweating. I don't even like to sweat. I'm just being real. You know, and then there's the poop. Especially if you have barns, you gotta feed them. It's a full-time job to take care of animals. <laughs> Wild animals that go astray, <laughs> yeah? And yet Jesus saw the people hungry, confused, couldn't make their own decisions, covered in filth and, and weight, the weight of religion and law, right? And he was moved by compassion to care for us. And he still does every day. Let me tell you the simple gospel, guys. Because we've got to get back to the simple gospel. 
And it's this, <laughs> it's that we've got to get back to love. We have got to understand first love. And first love is not just, you know, loving God, right? First love is loving God and saying, God, I, I have received your love. I've experienced your love in such a way that I'm willing to humble myself even unto death, to love the unlovable, to go after the filthy ones, to go after the ones that are going to bite me when I reach my hand out to help them, the ones that are going to curse me, that are going to slander me, the ones that can give me nothing in return, that are actually going to hate me and might even drag me away to crucify me. I'm willing to love the way that you loved because I've experienced your love for me. And that's what your love looks like. We've got to get back there. And you know, the only way that you can do that is by having a personal altar before the Lord. An empty altar receives no fire. What, what did they put on the altar? A sacrifice. It was a body. There was a body of a, of a cut up animal, dead, laid out on the altar. And there was a, a protocol for the priests when they ministered to the Lord. Before they could go into the Holy of Holies, they had to have a blood sacrifice, right, that was laid on the altar. Here's really interesting. A lot of people have heard the term strange fire because heresy hunters love it and don't understand that they're operating in it. Do you want to know what strange fire is? Strange fire is, is a, a passion or a um, power that originates from you, not from God. See, we don't see this oftentimes um, when we're reading the Old Testament because it's kind of hard for us to understand because we're not Jews and we're not living 2,000 years ago. But when the priests prepared the sacrifice and they put it on the altar... It's the same, were you guys here last week for Robbie Dawkins? Who was here for Robbie Dawkins? When he told the story of, of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, right? Well, Elijah knew that when God accepted a sacrifice, he provided the fire. That was the protocol for the tabernacle. So our fire has to originate from God. The, the sons of... Uh, Levi, who were killed because they offered strange fire on the altar, they were killed because it was fire that didn't originate from God. Therefore, it was defiled. It was fire that they conjured up themselves. So now, in this New Testament understanding, we are the ark. We are the tabernacle. We are the the holy of holies. Our heart is the holy of holies because we've, we've received a better covenant. The blood of Jesus has been sprinkled on us for the remission or the complete removal of sin, right? Do you know what that word sin means? It means falling short of the target. 
What's the target? Jesus. He is perfect goodness, perfect love. Right? So when we sin, and the Jews understood this too, the, the law was actually the Jewish constitution. It was, it was laid out in a way for the Jews to understand how to operate in government because they were slaves and they had no idea how to be leaders, how to run a democracy. So God gave them a, a health plan. He gave them, a, you know, a set of laws and how to treat other people, you know, economy, immigration. It's a constitution for a government. Right? But it was summed up in 10 and that was the 10 were these are five ways that you love me, that you love Yahweh, and the five ways that you express your love for Yahweh by loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible's really clear. It says, don't, Paul said, yes, you've been made free, but don't allow your freedom to lead you into lavaciousness or into moving totally away from, from the law, which is now love. Because love fulfills all of the law. So if Jesus is the target and sin means to fall short of God's perfect love, and the greatest commandment that we've been left now in this new covenant is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm going to tell you a story. And I was, I was asking the Lord, okay, so you have completely removed our sin. You've completely annihilated all the ways that we fall short of loving our neighbor, right, as ourselves. That means that, you know, not loving yourself is a sin, too. And actually, um, this might be a conversation for another night, but I can actually prove to you that every fruit of sin, okay, because we look at breaking the, you know, the Ten Commandments, it's fruit. Really, we need to be looking at the root issue, which is a heart issue, which means that there's an area of your life where you don't understand how loved you are. All sin is rooted in self-centeredness. And if you don't realize how loved you are, how can you love your neighbor as yourself? So the issue that we're seeing in the church is that, one, we've not really come to terms with how loved we are. And why haven't we? Well, there's a lot of reasons I could get into as far as, like, church history is concerned. But recently, it's that we have moved away from the altar. We have gotten to be really comfortable. Oh, grace covers it. I can yell at my kids and talk this way and do that. And I can gossip about this person or take offense from this person. And it's okay because grace covers it. Yeah. See, I said that, and I feel it. Can you feel that? 
So you're feeling conviction, not because God is condemning you, but because I've been speaking and you've been seeing him. And when you see him for who he really is, you recognize who you really are in him. And that conviction shows you how you have fallen from who you really are. The fall, it's the fallen nature. You get what I'm saying? And so you turn, you turn it around. You, you turn back to your father and you say, oh, yeah, that's who you are. Oh, I can see my reflection in your eyes. That's what it means to be the apple of your eye. That when you look at me, you see your reflection. And when I look at you, I see mine. That's who I really am. That's not who I am. But that's who I am. We have, look, you know, even church can be an idol. We get in this place as believers where we get into, hey, we're doing the same thing over and over again every weekend, coming to the same place with the same people, the same ritual. And it's about, oh, I got to show up. I got to be of service because if I don't, I'm going to let people down and they really need me. But where's devotion and all of that? Where's, where's Jesus? Where's first love and all of that? I've had the Lord straight up rebuke me and say, your church has become an idol. And then he actually said, how long are you willing to delay your destiny to keep this church an idol? And I didn't even realize it was an idol in my heart, but I was serving it before I was serving God. I mean, even the state of our nation right now, you know, abortion should have done been overturned. I'm sorry, guys, but it should have. We're, we are in this place right now where we are in a window of grace. And I believe that all of God's judgment was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That is my belief. And that's what the Bible says. I do not believe that we live in this New Testament dispensation where God judges Okay, because he's already released his judgment on the cross fully, all of his, his passionate zeal and his wrath. But there is a universal law of sowing and reaping. And God institutioned that law, that governmental law, to maintain the cycle of life. And this is why all throughout scripture, when Jesus, you know, is asked by the religious leaders, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out to sow seed. And then later Paul says, um, he says, for God is not a man that he should be mocked. 
whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He, he says that if you sow to the flesh, you will reap a harvest of corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap a harvest of eternal life. Right? So literally, whatever we put out, the New Agers call it karma, but they've just tapped into a universal law that Yahweh established at the beginning of creation to perpetuate life. And Christians don't realize, hey, sometimes stuff is, you're reaping a harvest of corruption is what's happening. It's not that you're a victim. It's not, you know, because of this, that, or the other. It's not spiritual warfare. It's that you make bad, sinful choices. And you're reaping a harvest. And that can come in all sorts of forms. <laughs> we, we are in a situation right now where literally it's harvest season. The beautiful thing with God is that God redeems time. And if God can send locusts on a good field, he can send it on a bad field. And you can, you can literally pray for crop failure. But there has to be a reversal of our behavior and the way we think. You know, there's such thing as true repentance and false repentance. So true, like, life-sustaining life-altering repentance is when we recognize how our sin or our falling short hurts God, hurts us, and hurts people. When we see the pain that we cause with our behavior and really with our inability to receive God's love in a certain area. It's only in that place where we see that, that we can truly turn away from our sin and never go back to it. Right? It's not repentance when you say, I'm sorry for the same thing over and over again. That's saying, I'm sorry. And it's a lie, because you're not. Right? Love is self-sacrificing. Love is doing the right thing for the right reason, even when you don't get credit for it. It is going low in humility and going to your spouse or to your children or your family member, and it's admitting where you were wrong, even when they were more wrong, because you can't even go to leave your gift on the altar. You, you can't even go to the altar of the Lord and be right without making it right with the person that you know you've got something against. You know, I got to be honest, like my family and I, we've been fighting for two days. We, we've been fighting for two days over petty stuff. And on the way here, my heart was just grieved. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to make this right other than will you please help me love better? 
Love keeps no record of wrongs. Nobody owes me nothing. Offense is the bait of Satan. It is a snare and a trap and a hook that will lead you into a downfall and destruction every single time. Every single time. And we hear so many churches talk about, you know, prosperity and wealth and riches and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's no big deal to God. But can I tell you that diamonds and rubies and gold, that actually is junk to God. It's garbage. Do you know what God's treasure is? It's people. It's people. And we'll treasure and, and hoard up monetary stuff, and we'll let our families go to hell over an offense. The Lord actually, before I even started ministry years ago, I was in my room crying. I'm like, God, you've given me all these words about how you're sending me to the nations, and I'm going to birth revival and do this and do that. And I haven't even, you haven't even opened up, I can't even take offering at my church. They won't even give me the microphone. And I'm like literally having a pity party. And the Lord rebuked me and I went into this vision. And in the vision, God was sending me all over the nation. I'm preaching and I'm seeing millions of people come to Jesus, right? I'm, I was literally seeing the stuff I'm walking in, to, in now. And, uh, then he takes me into a vision. He says, but let me show you your home. And my kids were both doing drugs, totally apostate running from God, militant atheists. My husband was doing crazy stuff behind my back. Um, and I knew all of them were going to hell. And then the Lord showed me them in hell. And he showed me my posterity, so my, my grandchildren. And how every single one of my grandchildren would be wicked. And he said, Krista, would you preach salvation to the nations and let your own family burn in hell? He said, get your house in order. He said, if you don't know how to love your own house, I will not trust you with the masses. That's where God's heart is. And in this next move of God, I'm telling you guys, and I'm telling you with all seriousness, if we do not get this issue right, each one of us have an account. We are going to stand before a holy God. And I'm going to tell you the same thing that God told Bob Jones. Does anybody know who Bob Jones is? Bob Jones died once, went to heaven, thought that he was going to get in, but he was rejected access. When he asked God why, he said, I've done all these things, God. I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this for you. And God looked at Bob and he said, but have you learned to love? And Bob broke down and he said, give me another chance. Give me another chance, and I'll learn to love. 
God granted him that request. And he actually, when he passed away, he actually went on to glory. It was on Valentine's Day. As evidence that Bob had finally learned to love. All the gifts function through love. Do you know you don't have to chase signs and wonders if you're walking in love because the person who is the sign, who is the wonder, is walking with you? Love is the conduit for all of it. And even in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about all the gifts, about the members of the body, right? The fivefold ministry gifts. He says, in the last verse in chapter 12, he says, and now I'll show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that I could move mountains, but I'd never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, Without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. When was the last time we checked our heart motives in our relationships with others? When we speak to our children, are we speaking to them in a way that we're trying to dominate, intimidate, manipulate, and control them? to manipulate them with love, to get them to do what we want them to do? That's witchcraft. <laughs> when, when love is operating in a relationship, you, you don't have to dominate. You don't have to intimidate. You don't have to manipulate. Because in that relationship, look, with, with my kids, my daughter, I've noticed this especially. When she knows that she's loved, when she messes up, she will come to me and she'll, she'll tell me she cannot hold it in. And it's because she does not want anything to get in, the rela in between our relationship to mess up our relationship. And isn't that the way that it is with God? When we know that he loves us, when we mess up, we go and we want to confess, right? Because we don't want anything to mess up our relationship because of that love, right? God doesn't intimidate us. He's not trying to make us fearful. He's not trying to dominate us. Otherwise, he would have hid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead, he put it right in the center of the garden. And he knew we were going to jack up. And he still put it right in the middle. Because there is an element of love that has to be expressed through freedom of choice. And to allow people to make mistakes 
and to be brought back into, into being restored through love. Now, what's interesting about this passage of Scripture, God's not using, the Bible is not using the word agape. He's using the word phileo. And in the Greek, those are two very different forms of love. So phileo love actually means brotherly love, like what it is for you to love, you know, a peer or another person. It's not agape love. Agape love is God love that us as Christians have total access to operate in, okay? And this, is, this passage, everybody uses it for marriage, but it really is not about marriage. It's about how we're supposed to treat each other in the body of Christ. God is wanting to release revival and the revival of families. It's the revival of families, nuclear families, and the family of God, because he's not coming back for orphans, y'all. He's coming back for a bride. What happens when you get married? You create a family. Family was God's idea. He created family in the garden. His image is family. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what's wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It never stops. You know why? Because real love originates in God, and he's eternal. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, and it that will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words and knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial, but when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and responded like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that children are self-centered and they're self-seeking. And in order to be a mature believer in Christ, you need to operate in love. Love is the mark of maturity. It's patient under stress. It's kind at all times. It's gen generous, not envious. It's humble, not self-promoting. It's never rude. It does not manipulate by using shame. It's not irritated or easily offended. It celebrates honesty, even if it's honesty that you don't want to hear. It doesn't focus on what's flawed, and it's loyal till the end. And it requires action. And I have been boldly convicted as of late 
that I cannot even tell God that I love him if I'm not willing to take action. If I'm not willing to pray for the person in Walmart even when I don't feel like it, how can I tell God that I love him? If I'm not willing to stand up for governmental issues that are literally destroying a generation and sending them to hell, how can I look at God and tell him that I love him? If I'm not willing to tell my testimony because I really don't believe in the grace of God, and I for some reason have to uh, put on a face, like I'm just a good Christian, can't let you know how messed up I was, or still am. Can't look at God and tell him that I love him. Love has to be expressed. Love for God has to be expressed by love for our, our fellow man. Has to be. That was the book of Acts Church. You know, the book of Acts Church, there was actually a historian. He was not a Christian. He was a Greek. And he said he had never seen anything like the believers because there was not a need among them. See, the early church, they knew what Jesus went through for them, that he laid everything down, that he died for them that he gave them a family. He took the lonely and he put them in families. And then he gave them his spirit so that they would never be alone, never again, and be empowered to be sons of God. <laughs> right? They were loved, so loved that they were willing to be crucified upside down, boiled, hung, dismembered. I mean, some of us can't even, you know, tell our coworker we're saved. Guys, I'm not saying that. I'm just as guilty. Every single day I go out in public and I hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to pray for that person. And everything in me goes, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I want to go home, and I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to look like an idiot today, Jesus. So just one day I can go and not look like an idiot. I mean, can I just be honest, you know? And then he says something like, Krista, I love you. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And I never regret it. Because really the anointing, guys, is when you are a conduit of his love. That's why ministry is addictive. Because you're getting the full force of his love for another per the person right in front of you. How many people are getting baptized tonight? One hand, hallelujah. I felt like tonight that the Lord was saying, I want my people to be baptized in my love again. 
I want them to be fully immersed in the knowledge of how much I love them, what I paid for them. I want them to know the cost that I paid because of my love for them. I want them to know that I was crucified before the foundation of the earth <laughs> and that I would do it over and over and over and over again because I love them so much. And also that there was a renewal that God wanted to do in families. Because when God looks down on earth, he's not looking at the silver and gold, guys. He's looking at the treasure that he's put in earthen vessels. And each person around us is a gift from God. The Bible even says that, that even the ones, the difficult people are gifts. And usually the difficult ones, have you ever seen a wounded dog? Have you ever tried to take care of a wounded dog? Them suckers are vicious. I've had one. She'd eat you up one side and down the other. She's a little thing, so she didn't really tear you up bad, you know. But if you care for a wounded animal, you know, when they've got wounds, they protect the area that they're wounded. And that's when they, you know, because they don't want you to touch where they hurt. Right? How many people are walking around the world, you know, all dressed in satanic stuff and, you know, with big mouths, but really on the inside, they're just wounded. They're just wounded. They just have a broken heart. And that all this stuff on the outside is just their way of keeping everyone away from them so that they don't get hurt anymore. What would happen if we found the scariest looking person that we could find and been like, Target is on. You're going to get loved on. Seriously. I've, I just prophesied over a Satanist at a Starbucks just a few weeks ago on our way back from North Carolina. We walk in and there's this huge monster of a guy decked out in all black he's got baphomets all over him satanic everything you know i'm like well glory to god and i'm not gonna lie i mean i was a little intimidated but then i'm like oh yeah i got crazy hair and piercings i like black t-shirts he might not even realize i'm a christian but i don't always like tell him you know so i just I asked the Lord, I said, so who is this guy really? Like, who is this guy to you? Because this ain't him. This is a false identity. I want to know who he is. And the Lord began to tell me that he was hurt by church people that judged him and expected him to live holy when he, hadn't, he didn't even have an encounter of who Jesus was yet. And so he thought, that God was judgmental and was angry and was disappointed in him all the time. And he could not live up to their expectations. And so out of hurt, because you know anger is a secondary emotion, right? Yeah. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. It's what we feel after we've been hurt. 
or we've been embarrassed, right? Because it's a self, it's a fight mode. It's a, it's a protection device, okay? In defense, he became angry and he became dark and he made it to where no Christians would ever want to talk to him anymore. And I said, oh, okay. Well, God, I know none of that is true about how you feel about him, so how do you feel about him? And the Lord said, I love his soft heart. I love that he is such a teddy bear. He is really a lover, and he is actually a defender of women. He was raised by a single mom. And uh, he's like, I love that about him. And he's a hard worker. And he actually makes me really happy. Dude in Baphomet, he had satanic symbols on him. And God said, I like him. Dude, if God's love doesn't offend you, then you've probably not encountered it. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah? We need to stop requiring people to look like they're worthy of Christ's love and just love them where they're at. Do you know that pure evangelism is loving somebody until they ask you why? Seriously, I have led more people to Jesus in relationships with folks that are mean, are surly, uh, have nothing to offer me but stress. <laughs> Seriously. I've led more people to Jesus relationally by loving them right where they're at, even in all their mess, all their chaos, all their jack-ups, all the ways that they've betrayed me. Even my, even my one best friend who betrayed me before, I let her right back into my life, totally forgave her, because love keeps no record of wrongs. And then she did it to me again. <laughs> and you know what? I'll let her right back. You know why? Because Jesus did that for me. That experience, that Judas experience, taught me love more than any other experience in my life. So as painful as it was, I'll go through it again. I don't need to protect myself from Judas. Je Jesus didn't. How often are we like, oh, I can't let that person around me. They're, they're messing up my anointing. Pure evangelism is loving somebody until they ask you why. Because that's exactly what Jesus did with us. Why? <laughs> why? Because we were made for love. We were created to be the object of his affection. That is your primary purpose. Did you know that? Literally, your primary, everybody wants to know, God, what's my purpose in life? Why did you make me? Why did you make me? What am I here for? What's my destiny? You want to know what it is? To be loved by God. To be so fully loved by him that you learn to love yourself. Because you can accept who he says you are. 
Yeah? And then to be an expression of his love to a lost and broken world that does not know what love is. So they're identifying by their lusts and not what real love is. Love is what changes people. Love is what calls us higher. Love is literally the reason for life. When you look at your life, what is it that you cherish most? It's wherever you find love. That is where your heart is. Right? So, did you guys get something out of tonight? I hope so. I am going to pray for all of us. And I'm going to ask the Lord to come and speak to us tonight and baptize us in his love. To show us where we have fallen short of his love first, right? And guys, this is an action word. <laughs> so tonight, before I could even worship right, I had to go over and I had to repent to my husband. You know what I repented of? Not respecting him. And I didn't even realize that I wasn't respecting him. But I was reading something in my Bible. I just happened to look down, and it said, Wives, love and respect your husbands as you would love Christ, love and respect Christ. And I sat there, and I thought about it for a second. I was like, man, I have not, I, didn't, I haven't done that the last two days. And I went over there in tears, and I said, honey, I repent. <laughs> I repent. And then when he tried to repent to me, I said, you don't, you owe me nothing. <laughs> you owe me nothing. Even if you haven't loved me right for however long, you owe me nothing. This ain't about you. <laughs> it's, it's about me and what Christ has called me to. And love keeps no record of wrongs. So I ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to do better to respect you next time. So when God shows you something, look, this verse, and I, there are two things God's really been speaking to me a lot lately. He says, my people are really good when it comes to vertical relational stuff. Horizontal relational stuff, they suck. They forget, they forget that righteousness means to be in right standing. It means to have Jesus as Lord, God as Lord, Yahweh as Lord over your life, right? So think about Jesus on the cross, his head and his feet, right? Because the way you think really should be directing the way you walk. And if Jesus is Lord, that means he has rulership over the way you think and the way you walk. He tells you that's right standing, that's righteousness, okay? That's literally to be right ways with God is he tells you the best way that you're supposed to think and you're supposed to walk. But we, we can do that, right? But he said, horizontally, it's hands out, heart open. Your hands are an extension of what is in your heart. This is how we're to lay hands on the sick and they should recover, right? It says, the Bible says, bear each other's burdens. Confess you one to another and your sins will be forgiven you. 
do you know that that verse was actually not talking about coming to confessional? It was actually, <laughs> what they were saying is, when you've sinned against your brother or your sister, you go confess the way that you've fallen short in loving them to them. And when you confess the way that you've sinned against them, bear each other's burdens, and then you'll both be healed. Confess the way you've fallen short. Be quick to forgive. Right? Because every argument should, or confrontation should not end in a fractured, broken relationship. Instead, it should, it should end in a closer, knitted relationship. It should end in, okay, how can we move forward? How can I love you better? That, when Jesus prayed before he went to the cross in John 17, he said that they would be one even as you and I, Father, are one, and they are one in me. And that they would be known by their love. You know why? Because it ain't normal to restore broken relationships with people that have done you wrong. That is supernatural. That is a sign and a wonder. When somebody has came to you and they have wronged you. They have wronged you. They have messed up. They've done bad. They've talked behind your back. They've done this, they've done that, and you're, you go straight to them and say, forgive me for the way that I have fallen short in loving you. Will you forgive me? Instead of requiring them to say they're sorry. That's a whole nother level of Christianity that we have, it's in us and we can do it, guys, right? Jesus, Jesus, we need to know this kind of love, that the eyes of our hearts would be illuminated to comprehend the depths and heights of your love, God. So, Father, I just, whew, I thank you, God, that you love us. And I thank you that you are a happy father that does not want to sit listening to a bunch of bickering kids in the back seat of the car all throughout eternity. You want us to be a big, happy family. That's what you want. And I thank you, God, for Jesus, who was the firstborn among many brethren. That those of us who have received Christ can now cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. <laughs> Daddy, you are our Daddy. Such a an intimate term, Lord. That you're our father. And if you're our father, then that means your DNA, your makeup, everything that consists of who you are and your perfection, your glory, your perfect love, 
that's who we are too. It is woven into us. We are one with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the spirit of adoption, Father. God, how wonderful. We were just made for love. <laughs> this crazy, crazy, reckless love. You are a daddy on a rescue mission. <laughs> that is who you are. You are chasing us down. And snatching us up. We cannot outrun you. <laughs> oh, we can't outrun your love, Dad. Lord, will you speak to us right now? And will you tell us again who we are? Father, I ask that. I ask Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. And I ask right now that you would speak to every person in this room. And you would tell them who you are to them in this moment. What kind of father are you over them? And would you show them who they are? And Lord... Once you show us who we really are, will you show us where we've been operating in a false identity? And would you show us what we need to do, what action we need to take to turn around and to run into your arms again? Father, would you come baptize us in your love tonight? 
would you make us one like you? Lord, we want to think the way you think. We want to walk the way you walk. We want to have our arms open, heart bravely pointed in the direction of a lost and broken world that can give us nothing in return because you've given us you. And that's enough. You are enough. You are enough. We don't need recognition. We don't need apologies. We don't even need respect, Lord. We don't need honor. We just need a revelation of your love. Lord, I thank you for prodigals returning home as their family members love on them. Don't have to ask them where they've been or what they've been doing, but just love on them. And I feel that too. If there's anybody in here and you feel like you've been running from God and you have been wallering in a pig pen, the most beautiful part of that story, the prodigal son, was that when the, when the prodigal came home, he didn't even have a shower. He literally still smelled like the pig pen. And the father had been pacing back and forth at the door, waiting for the day that his son would come home. And he picked up his skirt and he ran out on the road to meet him. And you know, Hebrew men, they didn't wear underwear. They had skirts. So you know, for that man to run, he had to pick up his skirt and expose his privates. He shamed himself to get to his son faster. He didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. He was willing to be embarrassed just so he could wrap his arms around the son that had been gone. And then when he got to him, the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And see, his son had rehearsed that line. He had rehearsed what he was going to say to dad when he got home. And he was going to say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the father swooped him up, swooped him up, did not let him finish, and smothered him in kisses, put a clean robe on him the best he had, and a ring and shoes. Didn't ask him, where you been, son? What you been doing? He didn't need to know. All he needed to know was that his son was home and in his arms. If you're in this room tonight and you have felt that something that you, you've done, the shame of it has been preventing you from intimacy with the Father, I just want you to come up here. So I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Is there anybody else?
Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.